you're thinking, hold on, what happened to the book of Matthew? I thought we were doing Sermon on the Mount. Fooled all of you. Sort of. Not really. Taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount to talk about evangelism. Acts chapter 8. So what we're going to do going into the spring, into the summer, is we are going to definitely be studying the Sermon on the Mount. It'll be that for a while. But maybe like once a month, once every other month, we're also going to have apologetics teachings, how to defend the faith. That's what apologetics means. And this is kind of like more of a sermon, but still I think it's important for us to be able to think about how we fight cultural battles, how we talk about the issues that everybody's kind of going through, you know, at your age, and that's what we're going to do. So tonight, I thought, okay, vertical identity is next week. Realistically, like, how many people are inviting people, evangelizing, like, understand why we should and what that looks like. Maybe that's for certain people, etc. But what I hope to do tonight is to show you that there is an exciting journey ahead of you if you decide to say yes to the call of Jesus to go and make disciples. So if you want to title this message, I've entitled my message, Spirit-Led Evangelism. Spirit-Led Evangelism. I mean, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. It says... Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, he, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that you speak to us in a powerful way. Give us your burden. Give us your heart for lost people around us, Lord, that we take advantage of every opportunity you present to us that we just follow the leading of your love, and we do it by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. What I hope to do is to help you see that sharing your faith can be really, really simple. I think a lot of people don't share their faith because they're not exactly sure how to do that. How do you start a conversation with somebody else who doesn't believe the same things that you do. But as we're going to see in this passage tonight, that evangelism, sharing your faith, can be as simple as obeying the Holy Spirit and his leading. 
When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, all you have to do is listen and obey. We're trusting him. So put yourself in the shoes of this guy named Philip. Remember, this is the book of Acts. So it's the Acts of the Apostles, how they and the disciples, as they began Christianity in a sense, they were starting churches, going out, sharing their faith with boldness, preaching the gospel. As they were doing all this, one such man, Philip, was led by the Holy Spirit to go to this desert and find this man who is Ethiopian and a eunuch and to preach to that man. Now, what's interesting is if you're paying attention as we read that passage, all Philip did was go find a guy and then he overheard this man reading out loud the Bible. And so overhearing this guy speaking the Bible, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he asks, how can I unless somebody guides me? Later on, he starts preaching Jesus to him, showing him who Jesus is. And then as they're walking along in the desert, they stumble upon a body of water. Remember, this is desert. So the eunuch says to Philip, he says, here's a body of water. What prevents me from being baptized? So this is like the easiest conversion ever. Philip literally had to do nothing. Uh, recently, I had a, a great conversation with a friend of mine who I met randomly. And it was one of those, I, I always think of this story when I think of him. Because I literally did nothing. I was not really smart, had no really clever arguments. I just found this guy who was seeking, and it just so happened that God himself ordained the circumstance, so I was able to lead this person to Jesus. And that's one of the most exciting things you can possibly do, by the way. But you don't know unless you actually do it. So I'm hoping that tonight you'll be encouraged to go out and see for yourself. So imagine you had something like that. Imagine you had an opportunity where you're thinking, okay, God wants me to share my faith, so I'm going to do it. You say yes to Jesus, and then you see somebody just standing in the middle of the lunchroom at your high school, reading the Bible. And you're thinking, what the heck? Nobody reads the Bible in, in the lunchroom. And so you walk up to that guy and you say, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody guides me? Well, there's no pastor here, so I guess I'm going to do it, right? That's the whole point. Imagine that kind of opportunity. And I have to think, like, with 60,000 people that live in Old Bridge, 3,000 teenagers in Old Bridge High School, that's just Oldbridge High School, okay? Your high school is different. You all come from different high schools. I have to think that there's got to be more than just one of those people. More than one. You're telling me that in thousands and thousands of schools, thousands and thousands of kids in your schools, not one person is seeking after God. I find that hard to believe. And in actuality, I think in the era that we live in, people are increasingly wanting to see the real thing. I had another conversation with another guy uh, just recently talking about how he's wanted to, he, he's wanted to experience God in a, in a real way. And some of you are probably there too, right? Sometimes you read the Bible and then it's dry. It doesn't really speak to you. You're praying. You feel like nothing's really working. You want a genuine experience and encounter with Jesus. And so what people do often is they turn to spirituality in general, and they get into mysticism, they get into these different arts because they believe that that is the true path to God. If I do certain things, 
if I practice certain things or meditate in certain ways, then I'm going to be able to obtain God or a higher power or something. A lot of people are seeking after God, but you and I get to show the real thing. This is what the gospel is. In John chapter 1, the word, the logos, the all-powerful God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we got to behold his glory, the glory of the only living and true God. You get to represent God. People want to see something that's real. All of you have social media accounts. You're on Instagram, maybe still Snapchat, but that's fading. I called it, by the way. So I never got a Snapchat. That's why. Um, many of you have social media accounts, and everybody is always posting fake things. Or they don't post at all because they're afraid of being judged for being real. But we as believers, we get to say, this is who I am. Like, I have bad days, I have good days. I have days that I just want to, like, cry or scream or be angry. But you know what? Christianity is not about being perfect. It's about learning how to receive and give forgiveness. So if we can do that for other people, imagine. Everybody look up here. Imagine if you were able to accurately reflect God, Jesus, to other people. Imagine the, the kind of response people ha could have if you just simply availed yourself to God's Holy Spirit. So what keeps us from doing this? What keeps us from going where God desires for us to go? And I think the answer is this. It is the desert. The desert is what keeps us from obeying God's call to go. I'll explain in a second. Tonight we're going to go over three things. The mandate method and message of evangelism the mandate method and message of evangelism so number one is the mandate and we see in verse 26 read it again it says now an angel of the lord spoke to philip saying arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from jerusalem to gaza this is desert okay so he commanded philip the spirit, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying to go into the middle of the desert. Notice, he did not tell Philip what he would find there until he went. So many of us, we're afraid of where God might bring us or where God's calling us, and therefore, we check out. God, unless you tell me exactly what I'm going to find when I obey you, then I'm not going to do it. How many of us, if we're honest, we don't practice obedience in the small things, reading our Bible, praying, serving, little basic things. We don't do those things because we're not sure really what it does. So I read my Bible. I don't really get anything out of it when I read. So I pray. It doesn't really feel like God answers my prayers. But realize that part of the life of faith is going despite knowing that you might not get any immediate results. So God calls us to go into the desert, even if we don't know why, and it doesn't seem like there's anything there. But that's what Philip did. He went. And then in verse 29, what happens? It says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, once he was in the desert, go near and overtake this chariot. Now, not like attack it. That would be bad, not the Bible. He just means to go in and converse with the guy who is behind this chariot. Now, maybe you're thinking, 
Well, I don't have an angel telling me to do anything like that. I don't have an angel telling me, there's a car in that gas station. Go and overtake that car and speak to that person. I mean, that'd be great. A little creepy, but that would be great. So I would say, okay, maybe, maybe you don't have a specific voice from heaven and an angel showing up and saying, go to the desert. However, are you, everyone look up here. You guys are distracted tonight. I don't know what happened. Didn't eat enough Cheetos or something. Um, I distracted myself. Um, maybe you don't have an angel telling you specifically what to do, but are you putting yourself in the right place where you can hear God's voice? Maybe you haven't heard an audible voice from heaven, but have you tried in the past week, even just sitting down and reading the Bible? Have you tried praying for more than 10 seconds before you go to bed or eat your meals? Have you attempted to say, I'm going to set aside a day to just pray before the Lord. And like when I say set aside a day, I'm saying like you start off your day in prayer for 10 minutes. Oh gosh, it's so long. Like you can have 10 minute conversations. It's like easy, it flies by, right? But saying like, I wanna do that. Or here's like a crazy, crazy thought, okay? And this is a convicting one. and something I've been trying to put in practice recently. How about before you check your phone in the morning when you wake up, you read a psalm. If you do that, you are automatically like radically different than like 90% of the people in America. I made up that statistic, but it's probably true. Just even doing that, like to, to start off your day and to say, instead of allowing the world to tell me what's important, instead of all the text messages I missed last night telling me what's important and what I should be thinking about, I want to start off the very first moment of my day thinking about Jesus. Are you putting yourself in a place where you can hear God's voice? It's easy to complain and say that, oh, I don't know if God's telling me to do anything. If we have not said, I'm going to take obedient steps to just listen to what he has to say. So here's the thing. Whether it's the desert, whether it's the lunchroom, whether it's sitting in the secret place, circumstances can cause us to hesitate and sharing Jesus with others. So it could be, number one, where you are, or number two, who they are. So it could be where you are, desert, because this was, according to Craig Keener, uh, this, this was a desert town whose ruins lay near the, the now culturally Greek cities of Ascalon and, and New Gaza, and Philip might have no one to preach to on a little traveled road that would lead by a deserted city and so basically, I just kind of read that verbatim, and I should paraphrase it. This uh, commentator, Craig Keener, basically said, it would have made no sense to Philip, who just saw a revival in a city called Samaria, to be then told, now I want you to go preach in a desert. It would make no logical sense. But he obeyed, despite the fact that he didn't know what he was doing. And number two, maybe who they are intimidates you. Here was a eunuch of great authority under the Queen Candace. So here's a powerful dude, famous perhaps. And maybe it's to the person that God's called you to speak to that makes you nervous. Oh, I can't really evangelize to my boss. Maybe if it was like a coworker, someone not intimidating or scary, but I can't evangelize to my teacher, maybe a classmate. I can't evangelize to my parents, maybe my sister. 
Do you put qualifications on what God is calling you to do? Listen, we have the benefit of being on truth's side. We have the benefit of, of the fact that God is actually real. And we have the benefit of knowing that we have the solution to every heart's ache. And so deep down inside, everybody knows that there's this empty feeling inside, right? Everybody knows what it's like to feel like even after a night of partying, even after a night of being with your best friends or a loved one, to go home and, and be like, there has to be something more than, than this. When tragedy strikes, right? When bad things happen, we're not just like, oh, it just, you know, like whatever, evolution, things just die. You feel like there's something wrong with the world and it was not meant to be this way. And that's because God has put that inside of us to say, this is not the end of the story. And so as we share, it doesn't matter who, like Paul has amazing boldness by the end of the book of Acts as he preaches to this guy named Festus, Felix, Roman officials, Caesar. Paul had opportunities. It's like, whoever's in front of me, I don't appreciate you. I don't care because I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for faith unto salvation. I'm believing in Jesus and the power that is found in his resurrection, and I want to share that with everyone I know. So the question for you I have is, are you waiting for the perfect opportunity to share Jesus with others? You know, like maybe if God just brought an Ethiopian eunuch, not like literally, that's kind of weird actually, if he came to your school, but someone like that, the person who's just ready, wants to accept Jesus. You don't have to do anything, no hard work. And you're just waiting for that perfect opportunity. Until then, you're like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of weird if I kind of share anything, so I'm not doing anything at all. Are you waiting for the perfect opportunity? Back when we used to do mission trips to England, uh, we, in which were strictly evangelism trips, the very first trip that we went on, one of the, the students, Aaron, he shared with uh, a number of guys in this field. There's just kind of like this big green field where people just hang out. Like in England, this is, this is a thing where people go outside and they just kind of hang out on the grass. It doesn't happen here, but just over there they have fields. Play, people play soccer. They eat, whatever. They have picnics, kind of nice. And so we would go in these circles and just evangelize to people. So Aaron was sharing with um, a, number, a, a group of people, shared with this one guy who was kind of, you know, put off, didn't want anything to do with Christianity. But Aaron said, ah, well, I'm going to give you a tract anyway. And tract evangelism, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest, because I feel like it's just cheesy and weird, and who's going to read them anyway, right? Well, lo and behold, this guy who's so, like, against Christianity kind of, like, wrote him off. We go back the next year, and Aaron's evangelizing to another guy, gives a tract, and they recognize each other because it's the same guy he met the previous year. And he says, oh, my goodness, you came here last year, didn't you? Like, yeah, what are the chances that you would be here in this park at this time and I would meet you again? That's very strange. And he told Aaron, he said, you know what's really funny? After you left, a whole bunch of people started giving me these tracks. And I saved every single one of them and I read every single one of them. See, you never, like, that's not a made-up story. I didn't find that in, like, a sermon illustration book. That's a real thing that happened, okay? And this could happen to you, too. How do you know that if you share with someone who appears to be hardened, that they're not going to go home and think about it? Maybe that hardened person that you're so terrified of evangelizing to is actually just putting on a front because they're afraid of owning the consequences of their own sin.
So I would say, don't have to worry about that. Just ask yourself, has God told you to speak to someone? And if he has, then just do it. Act in obedience, not worried about the results. This is what makes me think of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. When Isaiah says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Could we just have that kind of attitude? Where maybe you're not confident, maybe you're not equipped, maybe you're not sure, but you say, ah, well, God's looking for somebody, and I'll go. If you want me to go, I'll go. I think that's the best attitude to have. Like, for me, who shouldn't be a youth pastor, I didn't go to seminary, I'm not that smart, I don't have a lot of theological training or anything, and... So, like, I talked to, like, one of my new believer friends just the other day, and as I was talking to him, I was like, you know what's really cool is, like, like I'm totally all for education all that, all that stuff, but, like, everything that I know, you're asking me questions, I'm answering them, and you're like, oh, that, thank you so, so much, that helped. I just read the Bible, and that's possible. It's possible to just read the Bible and understand it and be able to share that with other people, you know? So, like, maybe you're thinking, I don't know, I just, but, like, don't think about your qualifications. Think about, has God sent you? Is there a need? And, and then just pray and say, Lord, if you'll send me, I'm going to go. If you will choose me, like, I don't know if I qualify for your team. I don't know if I'm talented enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. But if you're looking for someone to go and you're willing to take me, I'll go. Like, have that kind of attitude. Have that kind of prayer. And it's going to take you to all kinds of places you never dreamed of being. And that's what's so exciting about it. So that's point number one. Number one, this is our mandate Go when the Spirit leads. Point number one is we've, we've been given a mandate for evangelism, and that is to go when the Spirit leads. Number two, in verses 30 through 31, we're going to go through the method of evangelism, which is to guide lost people to Christ. So verse 30, Philip Branton heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm willing to go, but I have no idea how to start a conversation about Jesus. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Here's something really encouraging, and I bet you didn't know this. Philip, the other time that he was mentioned in the Bible, is in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, when Paul is, is um, they had this ministry in the early church where there is a bunch of widows, bun a bunch of people that really couldn't take care of themselves, and they, were, they weren't doing so good in that society. So the church took care of them and looked over them. And so Paul's like, well, we should be paying more attention to preaching and prayer so let's appoint Holy Spirit-filled men to wait on tables. They're basically waiters. Philip was one of those, those waiters. That's where we see him in the book of Acts. Okay, so previously we know Philip as the guy who waited on tables. And then he's sent out as an evangelist. And that's how he's known for, for the rest of the book of Acts. So for me, I think if God is calling you, then doesn't it make sense that he will equip you as you obey? Wouldn't it make sense that if God is asking you to do something, that he'll give you the power to do it? A lot of times people think what the world needs is a guru. 
Because I used to think that. I used to think, I remember, so we joke about this question now. Like me and uh, Brian Higgins, we joked about this yesterday, I think. Um, oh, no, it was somebody else. doesn't matter. So there's that stupid, stupid question that somebody asked me in high school, okay? And maybe you heard this before. Where the, an atheist guy in the atheist club asked me, he said, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it himself? And I never heard that before. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to get this wrong. So I need to phone a pastor. Like, all right, I'll call Joey Rozek, and he's going to show him up, right? So, like, I remember calling my youth pastor. I'm like, okay, so, like, this atheist club is totally okay with you going there, and I want you to go there and just, like, destroy them all. Like, destroy their atheism, you know? And he's just like, Alan, that is not the spirit. We're all to be loving, and our job's not to win arguments. And I was like, whatever, pastor. I'm going to learn everything. I'll destroy their arguments. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. But for me, I thought what I needed at the time was a guru, a person who had every answer, studied everything. And maybe you feel like that too. If only I had pastor so-and-so show up and convince my unsaved friend, then they would believe. But what the world needs is not a guru. They just need a guide. They need a guide. What's the difference between a guru and a guide? A guru tells you what to do. A guide shows you what to do. That's what they need. Someone who says, come with me as we follow Jesus. So kind of as, as a sub point, there's a lot of, a lot of methods to evangelism these days where people say like, and maybe you've seen this too, it's ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing. I have no problem. Like some people when they have a pulpit, they like to bash other pastors and stuff. I don't really do that. But I will bash this one illustration because it's ridiculous. This one guy, apologist, would say, do you want evidence that God exists? Look at the banana. If you see the banana, you'll see how it's perfectly shaped for a person's hand. And as you peel it, it's a perfect food for you to eat. It's almost like God designed the banana to be consumed. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know. Like, if someone got saved with the banana illustration, I want to meet that person in heaven. I am dead serious. Whoever you are, maybe you're listening right now, you need to find me and I will shake your hand because I do not believe anyone's ever been saved by the illustration. But God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, so who knows? Anyway, so people have all these tactics about if you want to evangelize, this is how you do it. And I used to do this too, okay? So I'm not knocking any of these methods. But um, you go through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied before? What does that make you? A liar. Okay. Um, have you ever stolen before? What does that make you? A stealer. No, it makes you a thief. Okay. Um, have you ever lusted before? Which is always the most awkward part. It's like, maybe? Oh, I don't know. It's like, yeah, so you're a luster. Nope. What are you? Adulterer. That's what it was. Okay. So you go down the line, and then the whole thing is you're supposed to say, so on the day of judgment, would you be guilty or innocent before God? And just like, well, I guess I'd be guilty. And like, so like sometimes that works. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I think in the culture that we live in, not only do people not believe in your God, but they don't even believe in your rules. So why should I feel bad about rules that I break that I don't agree on based on a God I don't believe in? Okay, 
So what's more important than the method in memorizing this thing, because we're going to get our textbooks out and say, like, okay, all right, I'm going to know the perfect response anytime someone brings up an objection. And I am all for apologetics. But what's more important is that you just go out and do it. People ask you questions, and you're like, hmm, I have no idea how to answer that. That's good. That is so good. How I've learned a lot of what I know today is my philosophy professor challenging me in class about this is what Christians believe, this is what Christians say, and this is how you defeat their arguments. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come back. And I, I bought an apologetics encyclopedia that's like 600 pages, and he brought it to class with me. I was like, I'll show him. I'm ready, you know. But it, I need somebody to challenge me. I need somebody, like, honestly, it's so easy to be, oh, this is so bad. I'm going to say it. I don't care. They can fire me. It is so easy to say, oh, I shouldn't say this. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll, edit, I'll probably edit this out later. Let me start with something else first. It is so easy to say that homosexuality is a sin, it's an abomination, God hates it, whatever. It's easy to say that, right? But to actually have a friend who's a homosexual, look them in the face, and they say, am I going to hell for what I believe? You need to be in that situation doesn't change the answer. It changes the way you present the answer, right? I'm not saying homosexuality is not a sin. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Abortion. What you need is not people to come up to you and say, like, abortion is always a sin. It's always wrong. God hates it. It's murder. Okay, yes. Okay. You need to have a friend who just found out they're pregnant and they're in high school and they're thinking about, like, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to deal with this. And then they're presented a lie from the pit of hell, which is you can escape this if you only take this action. And you can't. You can't undo what you've done. Anytime we sin, we cannot undo our sin. It's a lie. But we have to, as Christians, come alongside people that are hurting and understand and think about it like, I have no idea how to answer this person who has this heartfelt question. I have no idea how to love this person who is so confused about their gender, about whatever. Like, we need to sit down with these people and not memorize answers. You shouldn't just be, like, writing down what I'm saying. Like, next time I meet a person who's gender confused, I'm going to, like, say this. What you need is to just meet a gender confused person and love them. That's what you need to do. So, what they need is not a guru. What they need is a guide. Someone who says, well, I don't have all the answers, but let's go find out together. Let's walk together. Let's love each other along the way. So if you imagine you're in the middle of um, a village you've never been to before in your life. You went on a cruise. You're in the middle of somewhere in Africa. You're on this little island, or I guess you're in Africa. You're not on an island. You're walking on land, and then you have a tour guide, and then you're lost. So you're like, okay, tour guide, um, where should I go? And he says, well, these are all the things that you're doing wrong. That's not very helpful, is it? What's more helpful is, let me show you exactly how to get to the place that you want to go. What people don't need is condemnation. They don't need you to tell you that you are a sinner, you need to repent. Well, that's true, okay? They don't need people telling them every single sin they've ever committed is wrong. People know that. 
But they need people to say, but this is how you escape it. Here is a better alternative to the way that you're living. Here is a true escape from the, the reality you've been living in all along. So here's another thing that probably some of you won't like, but it's true. The biggest problem with the whole gender identity thing and gender confusion thing is not because we're against people saying like, well, you can be genders, and we, you have to be the gender that God's created to be, which is also true. The biggest problem besides that is that it is a complete lie to say that you can change it. It's just not possible. Scientifically, you cannot change your gender. It is impossible. So what Christians are doing is saying like, hey, listen, though you think that this is an answer by changing your gender, you think this is an answer by having everybody recognize it and call you a different name, it will not solve this deep ache and longing that you have inside of your heart. Only Jesus can fix that. That's what we're saying with everything. The solution for those of us that are looking for a romantic partner who's going to solve every single problem in our life is not finding that magical person. It's finding Jesus. This is the answer that we get to provide for people, that the world is all about giving you fake alternatives that will never satisfy the longings of your heart. We're not against people. We're not against love. We're not against marriage. We're not against any of those things. We're actually for all of those things, and that's why we need to speak the truth because people are caught in deception. And they're faking it. They're saying, I'm happy. And if I have these things in my life, I will have fulfillment. And it's not true. Just ask the people that are going through it, and they'll tell you in a moment of honesty. So we are each person's personal tour guide that points people to Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like instead of telling people, hey, you should start reading the book of John, it's do you want to hang out and we'll read the book of John together. Instead of telling people, go home and pray, say like, do you want to pray together? Show them how you do it. Guide them through it. So evangelism is not limited to street witnessing, having social media debates, or bringing your friend to church, tricking them into going to your outreach or vertical identity conference. It's being a person who proclaims the love and truth of Jesus with their actions and with their words. Evangelism is not invite all your friends to vertical identity conference and your job is done. It's are you loving are you showing that you're loving? Are you saying words of love? And in the meantime, one means to be able to bring them to Jesus is a conference. But it shouldn't stop and, and end after each event that we have. It needs to be a lifestyle because this is the very reason that Jesus came, to seek and save that which was lost. So, number three, this is our final point, is the message talked about the mandate, talked about the method. Now we have the message, and that is to simply give the gospel. Verse 32. So the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? 
Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. That's all he did, is he gave him Jesus in the Old Testament. It just so happens that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading a passage of prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that was speaking exactly about Jesus. And so Philip got right to the point and said that this is speaking of him. Now, Christianity, the gospel, is not what people would expect. In this passage in Isaiah, it's talking about the humiliation of the Savior. As a lamb before its shearers is silent, a sheep to the slaughter. This is talking about the Savior, the Messiah. And so why would the Messiah suffer? This was his question, and he was able to give the answer. The gospel is not what people expect. It's not what people are used to. Because everybody in the world says you got to work your hardest, you got to try your best, and maybe people will like you. You have to look your best, and people will accept you. You have to be really talented, and then people will let you join their team. This is not the gospel. The gospel is good news for the poor, the sick, the weary, the not cool, the embarrassing, that Jesus came to be a baby first to reveal his love to the outcasts, the shepherds, to meet with the individuals, the woman at the well, the woman caught in the midst of adultery, to show up in the midst of people that were not looking for him and say, the gospel is for everybody. Salvation is for the entire world. That Jesus died for sinners of whom all of us have committed some sort of sin in some point, in some way. The good news is, after he shared this, verse 39, it says what? He went his way rejoicing. That after he saw Jesus, after he received Jesus, that he could go on rejoicing. So you don't have to go up to people and say, like, listen, if you want to become a Christian, you have to be prepared to be martyred for your faith. You know, like, no. <laughs> Maybe some people do, but that is not necessarily the gospel they have to give. Ultimately, we know that Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly, that your joy would be full. And the message that we share, the beauty of Jesus, will in some way give people the, the peace that surpasses understanding, give you joy in the midst of trials and tribulations, to know that even though in this world you may have tribulations, be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. That as we give this message, it's not depressing, it's actually uplifting. That as we share Jesus with people, they can say like, wow, this is what I've been looking for all along. It's a message of joy. And if we just give people that, we don't have to worry about the techniques. We don't have to worry about the presentation. Like, be mindful of that for sure. But ultimately, just give them Jesus. Go when the Spirit's calling you to go, that you just guide them, lead them, and then just give them Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to do. Now, I'll share like a little really quick thing from my devotion because maybe it's relevant. Uh, yeah, probably. I was reading David and Goliath yesterday, and, um, you know, that's one of those stories that's like, I, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, I've read David and Goliath so many times that I'm probably going to skim right through it unless I slow down. So I encourage you, when you're like Daniel Lines, then David and Goliath, Samson, slow down, because you might overlook the things that you see all the time. So I, I almost did. And I came across the one verse, Patty Height shared this on Wednesday too, actually, 
that the Lord does not save by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Great verse. And as I read that, I was like, hold on a minute. Wasn't it true that only a couple of chapters later, after David slew Slot, slew Goliath with the slingshot, that he actually goes into a cave and he pretends to be crazy. He's running away from Saul. And the first thing he says to the guys who are hanging out in the cave, he says, um, is there any sword or spear here? Because I left my weapons at home. And then they say to him, well, there is the sword of Goliath, the giant. And then David says, give it to me, for there is none like it. Isn't that crazy? Like the same David who says that God does not save with ability, with sword, spear, armor, technique, whatever. That same David forgot only a couple, a couple chapters later and took the very sword from the person that he killed without a sword. Isn't that really ironic? However, how many of us, though we've seen God move in our lives, we forget that we do not need anything else because God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We are now fully equipped. We are now sufficient because he is the all-sufficient one. That you do not need anything else at this present moment to be fully obedient to what God has called you to do. You need to hear that. Because if you don't, you're going to have fear of man. You're going to go into your situations and you're going to say, oh, I was going to share, but I'm just not ready yet. You're ready. Just go. Don't forget it. Don't lose sight of the fact that sometimes God uses weak people to highlight the fact that he's a powerful God. He uses weakness to show his strength. He uses broken stories, broken families, broken people to say that he is the God that brings the craziest of circumstances back together again. So don't ever believe the lie that your sin is so great that God can't use you. Don't ever think that you're so dumb that God can't ever use you to speak to people. Don't ever think that you stutter too much and that people, God can't ever use you to speak to other people about Jesus. It's just not true. It's a lie from Satan. This is the very first lie, right? That you could be like God if you have the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You need something else in order to be complete. And the answer is no. You just need to have that relationship with Jesus and he will give you everything else you need as you meet with him. So that's all I have to say for tonight. I will say in conclusion, though, um, think about your friends. Your friends are one decision away from believing in Jesus, right? Just one choice to say, I'm surrendering my life. So ask yourself, what's hindering them? Is it their heart and heart? Is it a circumstance? Is it a question? relationship, an idol. In this story, there is at least one thing that it wasn't for sure for this Ethiopian eunuch. The one thing that was not an obstacle to the Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith, the one thing it was not for sure was Philip. Philip obeyed the call. He removed one more barrier to the person coming to know Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good 
things. Let's pray. Dear Jesus,